Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing, you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. They even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit. It's time to get your problem solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get $15 off your order with code PODCAST15. Summer is here. Pack your bag with sunscreen, your emotional sport water bottle, and that steamy beet treat. But wait, don't stop there. This year, there's a new kind of essential that's right at your fingertips. Dipsy is an app full of hundreds of short, spicy audio stories. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and realistic characters. Discover stories about second chance romances, adventurous vacation flings, and hot and heavy hookups. And there's a growing library of fantasy series with werewolves, Greek gods, goddesses, Regency-era historical fiction, and fairy smut. To explore the bounds of your pleasure, new content is released every week. So in between listening to your favorite stories again and again, you can always find something new to explore. Dipsy offers a modern approach to romance through high quality and captivating audio fiction. For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to D-I-P-S-E-A stories.com slash pantsuit. Dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. Y'all, there's too much to talk about right now. We're doing our best to give you a lightning round of news and nuance on today's episode. This is Sarah from the left and Beth from the right. You're listening to Pantsu Politics. No shouting, no insults, plenty of nuance. Welcome to another episode of The Briefcase. We, as always, love to have new iTunes reviews and followers on our Facebook, Twitter, and new Instagram. I don't know how long you can say new. Like, how long does new apply? We've had it It for about... It still feels new, right? Yeah. So, Instagram at Pansu Politics. So, check it out and become a follower and uh, send us one of those new iTunes reviews. You can go to PansuPoliticsShow.com and become give us a donation or become a regular supporter of the show to help us cover the cost of Pantsu Politics or order one of our new t-shirts. So housekeeping before we dive in. The first thing is thank you for your patience on this episode coming out late. Sarah has been training for her new position as city commissioner and my work schedule has been crazy and we just could not get together until today. So thank you very much for being patient with us. 
And I'm sure, Sarah, that you'll tell us maybe on Tuesday's show all about your experience. Yes, I went to City Official Academy. Doesn't that sound official? It does. I'd like to be a fly on the wall at City Official Academy. Yeah, it was fun. So I can't wait to hear about that. The other thing I want to mention is that Megan has started a Pantsuit Politics book club. Megan is one of our kind of regular Twitter interactors. She always has interesting things to say. And she has set up discussion boards for Pantsuit Politics on Goodreads, which is awesome because we get so many emails and Facebook messages asking us for reading recommendations. And this way we can sort of crowdsource those requests. So we'll put a link in the show notes or you can just go to Goodreads and search for the Pantsuit Politics community there. But thank you so much, Megan. Also, um, how do you think we pronounce this? In my head, it's Doshia, but I Doshia, tell us if we're wrong. Yes. Asked us to mention that there are many sisters women's marches taking place across the nation. And we'll put a link in the show notes to some of those. I know we're taking a bus up to the National March. I'm kind of sad I canceled my plane tickets. I wish I was going, but I am not riding a bus overnight going to a march and then riding a bus back overnight so that ship has sailed but i'm super jealous of everybody going and um there's lots of ways to participate if you're not going like me yeah and if anyone wants to organize some kind of listener meetup there neither of us will be there but y'all probably have a great time without us so uh, let us know we're happy to share anything through our social media channels so that you can connect with each other Okay, we're going to do our best to get through what was a ton of feedback and a ton of news. We will not cover everything that we'd like to cover, and we will not get to the depth that we wish we could, but we'll take you through sort of a lightning round, first of the Friday feedback, and then second through what I've said in my outline as, Lord help us, the news. (laughs) So first up, we got a lot of feedback about our... um discussion regarding Meryl Streep and her comments at the Golden Globes. Also, just sort of celebrity culture in general. And like me, many of you are passionate about your celebrities, so I felt um, not alone. Yeah, I felt like perhaps I came across more strongly on this topic than I feel. (laughs) My whole point is just not my cup of tea. Award shows, generally not my cup of tea. And I'm happy for people to say whatever they want in any forum. I just don't have to love it, right? So I was a little taken aback by the passionate defenses of celebrities. But there were some really interesting points about uh, the role of celebrity in our culture, how they enable a lot of people to kind of live their truth and be themselves in a world that doesn't always accept them. And I thought there were some That's so true. really beautiful emails about that. We might do maybe a compilation of those sometime in our blog so that you can read some of the insightful comments we got. We also got really insightful comments about the hypocrisy in Hollywood that, yeah. you know, this is a for-profit global industry that kind of consciously dislikes conservatives and does the opposite of what it says on a lot of topics. So uh, it was interesting to read all the feedback. Well, I think the strongest criticism was she was pretty ugly about the football and MMA (laughs) comment. And so it was, it didn't, it didn't strengthen her point by then being like, well, we're superior artists to the stuff that you guys enjoy. That was like not a good strategy. But I thought the best defense was somebody said she was not making a political point. She was making an ethical point. It's not like she stood up and said, vote Democratic. She was making an ethical point about um, defending those who can't defend themselves. And particularly, um, I mean, I guess any immigration is a political point to a certain extent. But I thought that was a strong, like her big thing about him being a bully and his, um, his mocking of the disabled reporter, which so many people say he did not do. I mean, I don't understand the defense of Donald Trump on that, which is he does that all the time. 
Huh? Your defense of him being... He wasn't actually mocking this person in particular. He mocks people with those arm gestures. All kinds of people with those arm gestures. Like, I'm just sort of at a loss for that. But anyway, I thought that was a good point that she was sort of making it... And I've made that point before. Like, at a certain point, it becomes an ethical issue with me with Donald Trump and not a political issue. So, lots of good discussion. There's a really lovely comment about the reporter on our blog from Sydney. And then also in the show notes for today's episode, we'll share a piece from Kim Souter about why it's not helpful to infantilize disabled people. And she, Kim Souter writes a lot about this topic. And if you haven't read any of her work, it's really interesting. So I want to link up that piece and I'm interested to hear more of your thoughts. But I feel like we've probably given Meryl Streep like plenty of time in the realm of the things we have to discuss today. So the other thing we learned, in addition to you people being very serious about your celebrities, is that you are very nuanced about abortion. I was so impressed with the quality of messages that we received on both sides of the issue in response to our discussion about Kentucky's new bills. Well, and I have to take responsibility about this because I did not provide enough depth with when I what I meant when I was quote saying I mean I was using quotation marks but you people can't see me so <laughs> when I was saying bad abortions and you know what I, my point was not about my own perception of um, why people have abortion but that I do believe that the majority of Americans who um, when let's talk about the the sort of moderates on abortion, Um, I think there is a popular opinion that there are some people who have abortions for bad reasons that nobody wants to defend their right to have. Not nobody. Nobody in that group of moderates who who do not occupy either sides. Um, And so that's sort of what I was speaking to, but I did not make that clear. I do not. I mean, is there a scenario in which I would say that woman is abusing her right to have an abortion? Yeah. But for the most part, um, I don't make that stand. I don't really. It's not that I don't care, but I just don't think it's my business my ultimate argument is that I think, you know, the woman is an expert in her own life. So I don't want to get into, that's sort of my point to begin with. I don't want to get into the, I don't think any of us want to get into the reasons and like being a judge of who has a good enough reason. Um, because I just think that is yucky and handmaid's tale ish, which is coming on TV. I'm excited about that. But so I, I apologize for not being nuanced enough about those issues. Well, what I would say not to be defensive, but sort of in your defense on this is it's one thing to try to understand a position and another to endorse it. And I feel like you were trying to say, I understand why some people are pro-life and how they categorize the issues in being pro-life. And I think that's what you meant, because it's true that there are a there's a huge group of people kind of in the middle of this issue who I think see this in one it's, it's kind of like the discussion we were just having. There's an ethical bucket, and then there's a legislative bucket. Right. For me, I do have a view on the ethical side, but I don't marry that view so much with legislation because I don't know how to create legislation that, A, could accomplish what I think is kind of my complex ethical view on this, and right. B, uh, that should you know, because that, that really conflicts with my view of government. Um, I want to share a little bit from a listener who asked to remain anonymous, who gave us some very compelling pro-life arguments. Uh, this listener talked about how a lot of abortion strikes 
her as unethical because of sex selection. You know, countries where it is clear that more people are aborting female babies than So she's talking on a global level. On a global level, that's right. I'm not sure how much that happens in the United States. I would argue probably not very often. And I don't know if anyone would have that data. I mean, I I don't know. It's not like people are filling out surveys afterwards. Right. And then she also talked about sort of the dignity of special needs people and about the fact that we sometimes talk about abortion carelessly in terms of people who've gotten news about their children. I don't know. It was it was a very well-written, not defense of the pro-life community, but explanation. Well, I think that with regards to the special needs stuff, I don't, I would be, I think you would have to search hard to find a mother, and particularly a mother and father who, or mother and mother, whatever, who, whatever the family familial makeup is that um did not struggle with a decision to um abort a baby that they don't feel like they can handle their challenges that does happen um i don't think i think you would have to i don't think anybody does it flippantly i guess is what i'm saying for a child that they that they plan to get pregnant with um but i think it is i guess my issue with Um, And I think this sort of goes to this. I don't want to imply. Well, well, let me say this. I think there is this sort of assumption by the pro-life movement and the way they talk about it that I think is unhelpful, which is that we that it is only ethical to treat all life the same. And maybe that is a philosophical argument, but I don't think anybody can argue that is a pragmatic reality of human relationships. We don't treat all life the same. We just don't and I don't think that's necessarily um not problematic I just think that's the reality you know I what I always what I've kind of sort of wrapped my head around with abortion is that what I've been thinking about is you know I lost a pregnant a baby at 16 weeks I would never compare that to somebody that had a stillborn and I don't think that mother would compare it to somebody who lost an eight-year-old so why do we act like that's all the same because in our interactions with each other we don't we would never say that. We would never treat that as equivalent griefs. Now, who wants to get into math, ma- mathematizing grief? I don't. But you know what I'm saying. Like, I just, like, it's just such hard how we value life and quality of life. And all these things are so nuanced and hard and gray. And I, you know, I would love to paint with a big black and white brush and be done. But I just don't think that's the reality. So when we went to the Democratic National Convention... The two of us had a conversation with the Democrats for Life who mm. were there, which was a fascinating discussion. And after that conversation, we were talking about abortion. And I think that one of the most interesting things that came out of our conversation that I wish we had recorded, as with most of our conversations that we don't record, um, is that we, we were talking about how it's not helpful to the discussion that pro-life folks hear pro-choice people talk about abortion and and want to put absolutely no parameters around it. Mm-hmm. But we understand on the pro-choice side why that is, right? Because people feel like if I give one millimeter, yeah, all of these rights are going to be taken away. And I think that's just important for everybody to 
kind of get their minds around it now it and it really doesn't help when somebody like lena dunham is saying things like oh i wish i had had an abortion like i don't think it's helpful at all to well god bless her she did come out and apologize and said that was really stupid i shouldn't have said that it it was and i'm glad that she did yeah you know and, and and i'm not mad at her about it and i totally understand why she's what what was in her heart when she said that right right, right. (laughs) um but you know we have to find a way to give each other a little grace on this topic because i do think that people in the pro-choice community who don't want to hear things like bad abortion are saying that because they feel this right slowly slipping away and don't want to don't want to give any ground on it. And, and I get that. What I thought was great from all the feedback on the pro-life and pro, pro-choice side of this discussion, lots of energy around, let's get away from regulating or prohibiting abortions and try to reduce unwanted pregnancies and try to support foster families and parental leave and provide greater support for families with special needs children and provide caregiver training. And that's absolutely the discussion that we had the first time we talked about abortion and and made that a focus of one of our shows. So it was great to see. And I loved this quote from the listener who wanted to be anonymous. The challenges, the ethical issues, and the deep disagreements we have won't get solved unless we can make the good ever so much more beautiful than the bad. And I loved that line. Yeah, that's a great line. Okay, so should we just try to talk about the news this week? Um, yes. Summer is here. Pack your bag with sunscreen, your emotional support water bottle, and that steamy beet treat. But wait, don't stop there. This year, there's a new kind of essential that's right at your fingertips. Dipsy is an app full of hundreds of short, spicy audio stories. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and realistic characters. Discover stories about second chance romances, adventurous vacation flings, and hot and heavy hookups. And there's a growing library of fantasy series with werewolves, Greek gods, goddesses, Regency-era historical fiction, and fairy smut. To explore the bounds of your pleasure, new content is released every week. So in between listening to your favorite stories again and again, you can always find something new to explore. Dipsy offers a modern approach to romance through high quality and captivating audio fiction. For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to D-I-P-S-E-A stories.com slash pantsuit. Dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. This year is going by so quickly, and I had a little bit of a moment of panic about it this week. I thought to myself, I'm losing track of time. It's going so fast. It's going to be December before I know it. My kids are growing up, and I just kind of was spinning out. And I stopped, and I closed my eyes, and I pictured my last therapist, who I haven't seen since the end of 2020. But I remember the way he talked me through these issues, and I sort of channeled his energy I put my feet on the ground and thought, this is just how time feels now. And there's nothing wrong with that or right about it. It just is. But those skills that I learned in therapy are so important to helping me take a second to celebrate what's going right and decide what I want to adjust for the rest of the year. If you're thinking of starting therapy, which I cannot recommend enough, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Take a moment. Visit betterhelp.com slash pantsuit today to get 10% off your first month. That's
That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash pantsuit. The second most stressful thing after planning a trip is packing for it. This is true. This is a true story. I have just told you the clothes I have don't fit. They don't go together the way I want them to or I'm missing some essential piece. And then I discovered Quince. It's my go-to for high-quality vacation essentials. Like this premium European linen dress that's going to get us all through the heat wherever we're traveling. Blouses and shorts from $30. Washable silk tops. Premium luggage options and so much more. All Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than their similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes the savings on to all of us. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. I got big plans for my Quince chiffon pleated skirt in Japan. They like a loose, flowy look over there to battle the heat. I will be adopting that strategy with that skirt. Pack your bags with high quality essentials from Quince. Go to quince.com slash pantsuit for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash pantsuit to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash pantsuit. I uh, 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 here's how I'll start. So my husband came home yesterday and I was sort of digging out from under all the stuff that happened. And I thought, I said, I don't think that Donald Trump is going to be president for very long. <laughs> I know that's not a helpful summary or even very good analysis, but wowza. My summary is it has been a difficult week for confidence in our institutions. So I guess we can start with the memo from the so there is a british intelligence officer who from who formed a dossier on trump basically just you know digging up what he could for some never trump republicans and then as i understand it got taken over by democrats yes and everybody knew about it it was sort of an open secret throughout washington dc for months right for months yeah and you know, while, it, it, can I just get this off my chest? James Comey, I was, all my fury directed at you was well-deserved. First of all, there's a lot of really good polling and evidence now that he most certainly cost her the election. And now to know that this dossier was out there and all these concerns about Russian hacking, oh, but we really need to come out and break the rules about you saying anything this close to election about Anthony Weiner's emails, but you kept all this to yourself. Give me a break. When a lot of journalists were keeping it to themselves because they couldn't substantiate it. Mm -hmm. Even though it had been around for quite some time and was wholly unsubstantiated and contained really salacious and gross details that made me delighted that Jane does not yet have a Twitter feed, BuzzFeed decided to publish it and CNN decided to report that it was attached to a briefing. CNN did not publish it. Describe all of the details, right, and publish it. But BuzzFeed did. And later, BuzzFeed and CNN had all kinds of gaps in not just the substance of what was in the document, but whether President-elect Trump actually got a copy of it, whether President Obama had actually seen it, who was briefed on it, and when. So there were all kinds of problems with the reporting. The New York Times described this as putting journalists at war with each mm-hmm. other, which is not what we need right now, because there are real questions about whether this document should be in the public domain since 
It was actually, as it turns out, attached to the briefing as an example of misinformation. Oh. Yes. So they were kind of preparing it. My understanding, and this is from a lot of digesting NBC News, that they that the CIA was trying to show how they present information with varying degrees of confidence. And this two-pager was in there as an example of misinformation. No, we don't have a lot of confidence. Well, misinformation is different for me than I don't have a lot of confidence in this. Right. And misinformation is the word that I have seen. So I guess the point is, again, we have to be very skeptical consumers of news. I'm concerned that we have to be even more skeptical than is reasonable when things like this get open sourced. I mean, this is the trouble with WikiLeaks too, right? There's a lot to be said for full transparency and for the ability to make judgments on your own. There is also a lot to be said for context and the vetting process because this These are really serious allegations that essentially the Russian government is blackmailing our president-elect. And we should know that for sure if we're going to be talking about that. Right. So should did BuzzFeed have this as long as everybody else? I don't know how long BuzzFeed has had it. Because I I, I don't I would not I do not think it is because to me this isn't about okay so let's just get this out there part of the dossier was that they were blackmailing him that he was like peeing on people or watching people I don't know there was peeing in sex acts I don't give a shit well it was prostitutes right it was he was hiring prostitutes to have that kind of activity with fine whatever I'm so I'm confident Donald Trump has engaged in sexual behavior that I would find unethical and despicable but nobody seems to care about that he confessed to some of it on tape so. Whatever. Let's just put that aside. If the entire news media, BuzzFeed or no BuzzFeed, knew about these grave concerns about Russians' interactions, and there was some reporting, but, like, I don't really have a problem with anybody, BuzzFeed or otherwise, saying, we cannot substantiate this. This is what we know so far. I think that we are, this is not, like, I I don't know if I'm advocating for a change in journalistic standards. Maybe I am. But, like, we... There needs to be, because we don't have this sort of, trust us, Walter Cronkite situation anymore, maybe that is the, maybe what we are looking for is a flood of information. I mean, I don't, I don't know. I think there's arguments for this both times. But what infuriates me more than that is the fact that we were having to have a flood of information, no matter whether it was true or not about Hillary Clinton's stupid emails, but whether or not Russia has an ongoing relationship. I mean, the, 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 Argument here is that for, you know, longer, it seems to, in my mind, seems to align that they built this relationship with Donald Trump right about the time he started questioning Barack Obama's nation, nation of birth. And has built this, they through constant interaction with them, he's built this political career. And now he's our president-elect. And now we're all supposed to take this in. Like, also, side note, if you're Vladimir Putin... We're all now questioning, the. now we have the FBI and the CIA, our intelligence institutions at war with each other at war with each party distrusted by the president-elect like we're all distrustful now the intelligence agencies that sort of used to be untouchable now we're all well throw that out the window nobody trusts the press and you've built a relationship seemingly i mean he can he talks about in a taped interview about how he has a good relationship with vladimir putin and he thinks he does a good job about this this and this well aren't you i mean i don't the only winner in this scenario seems to be vladimir putin so it's just so scary to me. I'm sorry. 
Well, you just said a lot of things. Let me think about <laughs> where to start in responding. So let me say first that I believe without qualification that Vladimir Putin is a terrible, murdering thug who is an adversary of the United States. Well, and that's an important point because that is a changing position of many people. He is growing increasingly popular among the Republican Party. So that's an important stance to take. It is frustrating to me that I have to make that so explicit and that we are not all in agreement on that. So Mm -hmm. I will make that point. Point number two, I unequivocally think that Russia interfered in our election. Okay, so I have no dispute with these things. Point number three. I am concerned about what you said on changing journalistic standards because you said something like, it's unsubstantiated, but here's what we know. And I don't want to sound all lawyerly, but if that's true, then what does no mean? Does it mean that all rumors about public figures are up for grabs? Does it mean that politicians, I mean, this is exactly kind of the one defense people mounted when we were having the conversation about changing the ethical watchdog for Congress. The one defense people brought to that conversation was, well, Congress people are entitled to know their accusers and the freedom with which investigations are commenced based on based on anonymous sources feels wrong. And so I don't like the idea that the press, based on unsubstantiated, I mean, the press reports on anonymous sources all the time. And I think they need to be able to continue to do that. But but we trust them to verify those sources, right? Double source, triple source, make sure that they are, that they do know something when they publish it. If I switch the characters around here, And I think about Hillary Clinton just having been elected or the person I voted for, Evan McMullen, just having been elected and and putting that person's name in a story where they have done something and a foreign government knows about it. And the allegation is that the foreign government is blackmailing Hillary Clinton or president or Evan McMullen as president. I'm truly bothered by that coming into the public light without any evidence behind it. I think that we feel more comfortable about that with Donald Trump because it is part of a continued story that seems to be building about him. But I don't think that we ought to let that change what we expect of our journalists. Does that make sense? Yeah, but isn't that exactly what happened to Hillary Clinton with James Comer and it cost her the election? James Comey, sorry. He didn't say that there was something in the emails. He said that they found the emails and were investigating them. And I'm not defending that decision. I'm just saying I think that's quite different from I mean this this memo is basically a, a package theory, right? That's different than I found this, I'm looking into it. Well, I mean I feel like but what BuzzFeed said is we found this, we don't know everything, we're looking into it. I mean that to me that's what James Comey did. We found these emails, we have no idea what they include, but we're looking into it. It's sort of alerting people to the pro like what you're going through. And I just now I'm arguing the reason I'm not my argument is probably not the soundest is because one is BuzzFeed and one is the FBI. But I'm just saying, like, I don't have to imagine what that's like. They did that to her all the time. I just they don't came- think it's a helpful comparison, though, because and I understand why you're making it. And I understand why 
lots of people are making that comparison. Yeah, it's just hard not to be, it's hard to be sympathetic as a Hillary supporter when people accused her of things without substantiation all the time and the media covered it and the intelligence community when I, you know, like, you know, I, the idea that, what, how would I feel like? I know exactly how I feel, how I would feel like if they did this to her because they did. And it's, it's hugely frustrating. And I guess what I'm arguing is not that we should change the journalistic standard, but that the, it's the, our media landscape is changing and we need to start having these conversations because if there's not, you know, I don't, I think you're right. No, of course we don't want anybody to just make up something. And then, then we're back in the, an American committee. Well, I think they're communists. All right, let's look into it. So, but at the same time, I think this is a, a not a yes or no question. This is a, a a matter of degrees. And I do think that there people made mistakes in the way they've covered this. And the American people were not fully informed. And now we have a president-elect who has a relationship, and we, like, at the least, and we know that they've interfered with our election. And now what are we supposed to do? You know, like, ah, uh, it's just so frustrating. Yeah, I agree with most of that. I mean, I think a good summary of this is the American press fed at the profit-making trough that was Donald Trump throughout the election, which is probably a huge component of what enabled him to become our president. And in order to gain their credibility back, publishing information like this and then fighting with each other about whether it should have been published or not is not a good start right and he's you know we need the press right now and he while we're all fighting with him about Meryl Streep he's not divesting his business divesting in his business interest his it's not going in a blind whatever he is divesting isn't going in a blind trust run by a trustee it's going into an organization run by his children which of course he will have influence on and who will have information and it's just now the only well, I don't know if it's a bright spot at at the very least he is historically unpopular and no one is happy with very very few no, I mean not no one very few people are happy with how he's going about anything I mean the idea that you would come out on the weekend of Martin Luther King's birthday and attack John Lewis with literal scars from civil rights protest on his head and accuse him of being all talk and no action is so mind-bogglingly bad and he hasn't even started yet that's why that's i guess that was what my summary is like no one's happy with him he continues to pursue the exact line of action and he's not even in office yet it's just so So as I was trying to come up with some kind of organizing principle for the thorny mess of news that happened this week and I thought about this sort of confidence in institutions problem. I thought first about journalism and second about the presidency itself because of the ethical issues and the crazy town press conference that took place this week. So if you didn't see it, President-elect Trump spent about an hour talking to the media. It was his first press conference in some time. And he basically said, look, we did a lot of these during the primary. I think I won the primary because of press conferences. And then I stopped doing them because you guys were mean to me. Great. So during that press conference, as you just alluded to, Sarah, he explained that he is putting assets in trust creating a structure whereby Donald Jr. and Eric Trump, his two sons, his two adult sons, 
will run the Trump organization, but there will be essentially he will have no decision making power um, for the organization. Now, you know, except for, of course, the relationship with his sons. Right. So this doesn't feel great to anyone. He repeatedly said during the press conference that he has a no conflict situation as the president. It is his sincere belief based on legal advice that he has received from his incoming White House counsel, who is from the law firm of Jones Day and his counsel at uh, Morgan Lewis, that he truly could, if he wanted to, continue to be the CEO of the Trump organization and the president of the United States at the same time. And that anything he does that is better than that situation is a really generous act to the American people, which pretty well takes my breath away. Oh my gosh. mm, Is that a response? Why don't I say some more about the things he said during the press conference? Do we have to? We don't. If you want to move on, we can. So he would not take questions from CNN during the press conference because of the unfavorable coverage. And he shouted at Jim Acosta from CNN that his organization was fake news. I think he's decided to just appropriate the term fake news as his own now. Which means news I don't like. In talking about the situation with Russia, he sort of kept deflecting questions about Russia by talking about America's need to shore up its cybersecurity, which he kept referring to as hacking defense, which I thought was so strange. Like, I kept thinking, is is hacking defense different than cybersecurity? I would love to know if anyone who has expertise in that field can tell me what hacking defense might mean. That's just not a term I'm familiar with. I do not have expertise in that field. I'm pretty sure he made that up. I'm pretty sure he did too, but I just want to know if I'm wrong about that. He talked a lot about Hillary Clinton still. I don't know why it's so important to him to keep revisiting the election. It's, It's really strange to me. Because he doesn't have it. He just deflects, right? Deflect, deflect, deflect. Pitch a fit. Pitch a temper tantrum. Deflect, defend. If that doesn't work. If I can't say, you know, say incendiary things by saying how fairly I've been treated, then I'll just attack someone. I mean, it's, if we can't all figure out what his strategy by now, then we're not paying close enough attention. It was interesting because you could tell that he really enjoyed this press conference. You could just see that he loves being in that fighting mode. And I guess that is what a lot of people see in him that they view positively, right? Like he's a bully, but he's my bully. But he really loved doing this. I mean, my husband and I were watching together and several times I said, look at him. Like, he's he is so energized by this. He was asked several times about the Affordable Care Act. He said that it will be repealed and replaced when he was pressed for details on that. He said that we'll all be quite proud of the new plan. And he'll tell us more about that after Tom Price, his Health and Human Services nominee, is confirmed. And and basically, he he talked a lot about how we're just going to love his cabinet. They're all brilliant people. He described Rex Tillerson as having done a brilliant job during his confirmation hearing. I'm not sure that that's a universally shared view. That was a very rocky hearing, and we can talk more about that on Tuesday's episode. What really killed me and made me feel like I might be living on the planet Mars is that he ended the press conference by saying he pointed to this big table of files and said, So these are some of the papers required to put Eric and Don in charge of the Trump organization to deal with my many, many companies. 
And I hope that at the end of my term, I'll be able to tell Don and Eric that they've done a good job. And if not, I'll say, and he like points and says, you're fired, Mm. like from The Apprentice. And I gasp and my husband gasped too. I mean, we just could not believe that that happened. I just, I just, uh, I just want to cry. I want to cry. He's, this is not about you. Does he know that? Does he know that? Sincerely, does he understand that being the president of the United States is not about you? I don't think he understands that. I tried so hard watching this press conference to watch it as though I were a Trump supporter. Because I really wanted to see, I I want to see through the eyes of people who are excited about him. And that ending, I think, would have been so insulting to those who support Donald Trump, because that sort of pivot to it it was just such a transparent way to say, like, I just view this as all a show. And I really felt bad for the people who genuinely think that he's going to be great on the economy and are, you know, who who supported him with a lot of passion. I thought that was just really disrespectful to all of America and particularly to the people who want him to grow up and do this job. I mean, I just... I think his historic unpopularity, like if you see those numbers, like, you know, I think Barack Obama was at like 88% approval when he started. And even Bush was at like 64, whereas his numbers are the opposite. He has like 55% disapproval. Like if he continues to be an egomaniac about this and to go after people on Twitter and to make everything about him and how wonderful he is and how everybody who doesn't agree with him is terrible... Like, I mean, I think it's the the bright side is it could finally unify us, right? Hatred of Donald Trump could be the first true bipartisan issue. I don't know. But, like, oh, it just makes me so... I don't want to hate the American president, though, you know? I don't want to hate the American president. I want us to all be unified about something. Maybe that is that we've got to change the way that we elect people. Maybe it's that we've got to change the way we assess candidates and the way we I hope it's that we agree that we need to talk about politics differently. But gosh, I hate the idea that we're all going to be united against our own president like that. When you say that, doesn't that just feel terrible? It feels no more terrible than every time I hear or say President elect Trump. Hmm. Like my I guess in my opinion the damage to the office has already been done. And I don't know. And he's not even in yet, you know? Like, I just, every time I think that this man, I just have to talk myself down the edge and remind myself that there have been truly terrible people as president of the United States before. Like, I just have to keep reminding myself of that. That's 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 sad, but that's the one thing that makes me feel better is like, we're, we are a republic and we are, you know, a presidential system and it's hugely important, but America is not based on, you know, America does not live or die by how good of a person the president is. Earth Breeze Eco Sheets look just like a dryer sheet, but it's ultra concentrated, liquidless laundry detergent. It's the best of all worlds. Earth Breeze is tough on stains and odors while being kind to the planet and your skin. So it's good for sensitive skin. It reduces plastic waste. All of these things are true and amazing, but let's get to the heart of it. Y'all know I have a laundry system. 
You know it revolves around training children as young as possible to do their own laundry. Earthbreeze sheets feels like they were invented for this. Because littles maybe sometimes struggle with those big, heavy jugs. Or maybe you worry about the pods, but here we go. Here we go, y'all. Earth Breeze Eco Sheets. It's like the perfect solution. A child as young as two can handle these sheets. And even with toddlers, like you can get them involved. And this is a way to get them helping with laundry even before they could do it themselves. Ugh, gotta love it so much. Right now, our listeners can receive 40% off Earth Breeze just by going to earthbreeze.com slash pantsuit. That's earthbreeze.com slash pantsuit to cut out single-use plastic in your laundry room and claim 40% off your subscription. earthbreeze.com slash pantsuit. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick and ugh, out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing, you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. They even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit. It's time to get your problem solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get $15 off your order with code PODCAST15. We do quite a bit of hosting here at the Silvers household, and I think there is nothing that completes a table for dinner. Like a beautiful loaf of bread and wild grain has made that so simple because they send gorgeous loaves of sourdough bread. Lots of spins on the ingredients, but always just this fantastic, high quality, easy to bake in 25 minutes or less from frozen bread that turns out perfectly every single time. I also have to tell you about the free croissants for life that come with your wild grain orders. And those croissants make the morning, your brunch, maybe your late night snack, flaky and like you're sitting in a French cafe and they're just perfect every single time. That's what I love about Wild Grain. It's easy, it's consistent, it's fully customizable. It is the first ever Bake From Frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries. For a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com pantsuit to start your subscription. You heard me, free croissants in every box and $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. That's wildgrain.com slash pantsuit, or you can use promo code pantsuit at checkout. I was having a conversation with someone on Twitter, and I think it was Doshia, but I sometimes I get Twitter handles and emails, and you know I'm not always sure who I'm talking with. But she said, I renewed my plea for everyone to stop comparing everything to Nazi Germany, because I've seen that so much this week. What the Republicans are doing with the Affordable Care Act is Nazi Germany. No, the Affordable Care Act itself is Nazi Germany. And then Trump (laughs) said, you know, that the CIA possibly leaking misinformation about him is Nazi Germany. I'm like, just stop with the Nazi comparisons. I think it's so triggering for some people. And it's it's dismissive of what happened there. And it's also just a level of hyperbole that is not helpful to us. And her response was, truly, how do we talk about 
what happens and what is happening with Donald Trump without really losing people and them having that reaction of like, oh, here you go with Nazi Germany again. And I think that is the question. How do we talk about this in ways where we can continue to talk about it and not just stay in our camps? Well, you know what I think is really true, though? I'm going to start quoting Vox again. Um, They had an article about, like, please do not lose sight that he is historically unpopular. Now, that might not mean anything. It might not be because they said, basically, he won because people who did not like him voted for him. Like, I don't think we need to, I think there is lots of nuance to be found. I think this is an understatement of the year. There's a lot of nuance to be found among people who voted for Donald Trump. People voted for Donald Trump because they, and they did not like him. They did not find him ethical. They did not find him um, a good leader. I mean, like, but they felt like they had no other choice, Mm -hmm. right? Because they hate, so I think that we don't have to be as, you know, we're not talking about, 61 million people who just every time we criticize him are are doubling down on their stance. I don't think that's the case. I think it's a much smaller percent of people who feel like who, you know, he can shoot somebody on Fifth Avenue and no, they won't care. There are those people. But I think that there is a large number of people who voted for Donald Trump, even though they did not like him. Well, I think that makes the question even more important, right? Because that means that there is room for us to right. talk about these issues one issue at a time and for us to say things like it is alarming that Trump seems to specifically punish news outlets who are critical of him. Mm-hmm. And that is, I think, a better precursor to a meaningful discussion than look at this authoritarian on his way to making us the Third Reich. Right. And, and so I guess that's and, – and I would love to have more discussion with people about this because I know that there are such strong feelings. And it's not that I'm saying we shouldn't have passion. I just think how can we channel that passion into real specifics and, and use careful language as we talk about this so that we can come together. So speaking of the Senate and its voting, which I think you just brought up. I didn't make that up, didn't I? <laughs> I don't remember uh, saying that, but but we can talk about this. No, Senate. you did. You brought up the Senate. You brought up the ACA because he talked about it. This yes. happened. This was a thing. Um, so you have concerns about the way in which the Senate's voterama, specifically the budget resolution with regards that that was directly applicable to the ACA, was reported. I do have concerns about that. I also just think that as a general rule, conducting business during normal business hours is a good idea for all legislators, unless we're in a true emergency. So this voterama, this late night work on the budget resolutions is not new. It is traditional. They, the budget resolutions can have an unlimited number of amendments. And to be clear, so what I hated was that the reporting was sort of like, while you slept, the Affordable Care Act was dismantled. That is false. There was a step in the direction of repealing the Affordable Care Act, but it was not repealed and not even a law was passed. The budget resolution is just sort of a plan for Congress. It doesn't go to the president for signature. It was not a law. And I think that most of the reporting was very misleading on that point. I also think that the reporting being so directed at the Affordable Care Act missed the fact that this budget is not the kind of budget that conservatives would expect a Republican-dominated legislature mm-hmm. to pass. And that it is why was, our Senator, Rand Paul, was the lone Republican no-vote on the ACA aspect of this, yes? 
yes. And well, and in, I think it's not just the ACA. I mean, there, there is so much money in this budget resolution. It's crazy. It adds a lot of new debt and I want to scrutinize it more. And it is going to be hard to do that because the press is only talking about the Affordable Care Act aspect, which is important. I'm not trying to minimize that. But I think that by getting so hung up on repeal and replace and they don't know what the replacement is, also embarrassing and a problem. Totally agree. (laughs) We're missing everything else. Let's not miss everything else. The budget is hugely important. Let's not let anything get buried in there. Yeah. And and just as a Democrat, like it's just a lost opportunity to say, okay, you have total Republican control and they didn't do what they've been telling you they're going to do from the beginning, which is be more um, responsible with your money. They did not. They clearly did not. Yeah. I did share Rand Paul's stance on, you know, his idea, this problem like that. This budget is terrible. It adds so much money to our national debt. And um, I shared that in support of Rand Paul. So there we go. I think Rand Paul's doing a good job up there. He right is. Now. God really bless do. him. Godspeed, really Senator Paul. Godspeed. Well, and I think we've just got to get more specific again about what actions our legislatures are taking right now. I mean, the the last thing that I wanted to bring up today, and you may have more that you want to talk about, Sarah, because God knows there's plenty to talk about. In Kentucky, we have in our house a bathroom bill that's been filed. Oh, son of a... And it's two bills that together work almost exactly like the North Carolina law. Which has been so, so great for their state. Right. It's not like we it, don't have the evidence of what will happen. It costs North Carolina something like $600 billion. And why anyone thinks this is a good idea for Kentucky, I cannot imagine. Remarkably, this was filed by a Democrat. Mm-hmm. And... I hope that anyone who listens to us who lives in Kentucky will join us in letting our legislators know that this is unacceptable in Kentucky. I can't think of a worse thing that we could do as a state. Even Governor Bevan is not excited about this. Let's hope that this was, I don't know, I wonder if the Democrat filed it to hurt the Republican Party. That's not a good way to legislate, but I wonder if that's what was going on. The way the Courier reported it is that Republicans had been drafting something like this, let it die, because they realize that it is an economically devastating proposition. And this Democrat, who is from like southeastern Kentucky, had read it, and he thought it was a pretty good idea oh. and filed it. Yikes. So maybe behind the scenes, he is trying to force a vote to embarrass Republicans on this. I don't know. But... Um, I would rather not hurt all of the LGBTQ people living in our state by mm-hmm. having even the possibility of this yeah. law um, on the books. I think if Kentucky wants to be open for business, I would encourage our representatives to pass a law prohibiting discrimination against this community yeah. and tell the nation that Kentucky is a great and open and inclusive place to live and that all business ought to come here. So. Anyway, I'm pretty worked up about that, and I um, will be sharing probably on our social media channels my letters in case others want to duplicate them. Well, I think we did our best. We did our best. It's a tough week. It's a tough week. Um, it's probably only going to get tougher. But until then, we want to thank uh, Doshia, who the 
is like the star of this episode, I think. She, she also donated. <laughs> I to hope we're saying po- her name correctly. <laughs> I know, right? So for donating to our podcast, and as always, to our regular rock star subscribers, Melissa, Tracy, and Tracy, Ashley, Audrey, Christy, Nicolette, Paige, and Sydney, and all the rest of you who support the show, we really appreciate it. We'll be back with you on Tuesday for a new episode. Look forward to hearing from you between now and then. Keep it nuanced, y'all.